Can okay. you hear me now? Now I'm in. Chuck, I think you had some Skype noise while you said that, so it sounded <laughs> kind of cool. Nice. So it was like, can you hear me? Yeah. I love it when Skype does that. Okay. Are we still goofing off? I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the JavaScript Jabber podcast. This is your host, Charles Maxwood. And this week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. How's it going? I'm still here. And Jameson Dance. Hello. And like I said, I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com. We are having some scheduling and other um, logistical things going on. So it's just the three of us this week. Um, We're still hoping to bring you the same great content. But uh, yeah, if you have any suggestions, then by all means, go to the website, click the feedback link and let us know what we can do for you. Because we really do want to make sure that we're providing the best uh, best content for you. Um, this week we're going to be talking about Node.js. Um, it's kind of a topic. I don't know if we've neglected it so much as just that uh, you know we've we've had opportunities to bring guests on that were more expert in other um, and, and related with V8 and non not so related topics that that have more to do with web development. So um, we thought this week we would jump in, talk about Node, talk about some of the the ecosystem that's there, and and uh, see uh, see what we can get. Um, one other thing is is if you do have specific questions or suggestions for us, we also do have a Twitter account, and that is at jsjabber. Um, and uh, so yeah, if you have questions about Node or questions about um, anything else that's you know related to these topics, you know that that also helps us get a direction and really be able to provide provide what we need um, or provide what you need anyway. So um, I'll quit rambling though and we'll start talking about Node. So we know from our talk with Lars and Casper that it is basically the V8 um, JavaScript engine on the server. And I, and I don't completely understand how that was done. Do you have any more enlightenment on that, guys? So uh, as I understand it, Node is basically a thin C++ wrapper and then a bunch of JavaScript on top of that around V8 so that it can interface with server-side like system calls, basically. So networking, file system, all that stuff. Um, so you can interact with your system in JavaScript, which is pretty awesome. So it's all event-driven, right? Because it's JavaScript. So it's it's all very async. You make your networking calls asynchronously and they all take callbacks. You interact with the file system asynchronously. asynchronously. Um, so it all runs inside one process and you don't have to deal with threading or deadlocks or any of the painful synchronization stuff, which uh, is really hard to get right. Um, I think the idea is that an event-driven model for doing server-side applications is easier to reason about in general. And it's it's harder to make crippling errors that will result in your code just exploding and, and deadlocking if you're doing stuff with threads. So um, lots so, of people so compare... Does it, not use, oh, go ahead. does it not use threads then or... No, no, it's all in one process. I mean, you can do sub processes so you can like spawn off other processes from in i'm going to contest there first of all i would not say that it's necessarily easier depending on what direction you're coming at it and yes there are threads but it's a thread pool type system so you don't see the threads you don't write javascript threads Uh, i think there is a web workers implementation which is more like a literal thread but uh, it's basically in the c code they spawn a thread or put something in the thread pool to do. And that's why if you PS and PSAUX grep node, um, 
you'll see there are four node processes running at a time. It's because it's your primary process and it's got a couple of threads going. So, so you so, said four processes, but is it processes or threads? It's it, it, threads, but in your process list, depending on how your process list managers, you know, like HTOP or whatever, um, may, maybe maybe in PS you'll only see one, but in HTOP you see four. A- anyway, um, there are multiple threads. So so basically what it does is it says, um, I have four threads, and so when I trigger another event, if there's a free thread to pick it up, then that'll, that'll be the one that handles it? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, so... Like, let's let's think about this in terms of synchronous code, because down at the core, I mean, you. Uh, so this is called the reactor pattern. And it, there's a couple good tech talks and stuff on it you can find online if you Google reactor pattern. Uh, Douglas Crockford's loopage uh, really talks about it well. It's so say I want to copy a file, right? Um, and I might want to do something else as well that that is doesn't have to wait. So that I, I put the file copy into a thread, and then when that thread's finished, it's gonna it's gonna just mark a flag in the event system that says, "Hey, uh, I'm ready to tell you what my result is." The event loop comes back around, and it looks in its queue, and it says, "Oh, look, here are some finished tasks. I'll go ahead and return the result for these tasks." And then if those tasks have anything else they need to do, then I'll put them back in the queue. Makes sense? Yep, makes sense. So. Um yeah, I, I blanked on what my question is. So so I have a question related to that. Is the queue, is it just a straight up queue? Is there any kind of priority? Um, I mean, will events get serviced in the order that they trigger? So it's kind of a trick question. Um, I don't specifically know how it is right now. I do know because me and one of my coworkers, we just had this fun project going where we were implementing nodes API in C. And so we used libev just like Node does, and we kind of got familiar with it. And you can kind of prioritize things um, with that library. Now they're transitioning over to a new library that they built with the help of Microsoft that is uh, more cross-platform. Um, Which feels so weird to say, doesn't it? Yeah, especially because the libev guy would probably shoot you for saying that his <laughs> is <isn't> cross-platform. <laughs> Uh, that that guy's pretty opinionated, actually. I mean, <laughs> it's it's but, lib lib of right lib uv. Is uh, that it? That's the new one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the new one that uh, they partnered with Microsoft for. Yeah, interesting. So one thing that comes to mind when we talk about Node is that um, the canonical. I don't want to say canonical, um, but basically the specification for JavaScript, be that ECMAScript. I, I think it's just that the ECMAScript standard. Um, yeah. So Node does some things that JavaScript in the browser just doesn't do, like file access and things like that. Um, yeah. So did they have to kind of add on to the standard in order to make it work? Uh, yeah. So I think it's important to consider the history of JavaScript server side. Uh, so let's step back to that for a minute. I thought the history started ja- and ended with Node. No. Um, at the same time that JavaScript was created for the browser, it was also created for the server. So in Netscape's the Netscape server or whatever that was um, actually was JavaScript. And then Microsoft, if you put a .js file on your desktop and you double click on it, it'll ask you if you'd like to run it with the VB script editor if you have that installed. Or it, So there's, there's some sort of like Visual Basic plugin that runs JavaScript. It's part of, I think it's been there since Windows 95. 
And so if you create like an ActiveX object or whatever they call it, I've never actually done it, but I've seen some of the code. So it, it's got some sort of special module type system where you can create a file handler, but it's all synchronous. Um, and then Rhino came out. Rhino has been used for some server side projects. Um, and so can you explain a little bit more about what Rhino is? So Rhino is just like Node, animal. except it's synchronous. Isn't it a Mozilla thing? Yeah, yeah. I think it comes from Spider Monkey. I'm not real clear on that, but yeah, it is part of it's part very, of Netscape Mozilla. Very closely related animals, the Rhino and the Spider Monkey. Yeah, I would yeah, come I up think, with that. They both have the same big horn, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so a little bit later on, there's have you heard of Jaxer? Or I forget, Aptana, Aptana. They have this IDE, I think it's like Eclipse-based. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so yeah. Aptana was doing a lot of cool stuff, getting a lot of press for a while, and they came up with this idea like, hey, we'll implement JavaScript client-side and server-side. And I was actually on a on a, a project where we were deciding what to go with, trans, transferring a, a project that was done in Zool, which is the Firefox plugin language, the XML plugin language. Um, and so that was one of the things we considered. We ended up going with Flash, which was probably a bad bet because, well, it's dying now. Um, but we, we so should they, bring. I, it just occurred to me we should bring. There's a there's a fellow out here. Um, oh, what's his name? Anyway, he's a Flash developer and he's trying to pick up um, Canvas and HTML. But he has a really yeah. interesting take uh, on the transitions that are happening in that world and why people are moving away from Flash. And it's it's really interesting how much of it and how little of it has to do with Adobe. So that, that might be an interesting thing to talk about just in the sense that people are making the transition now to HTML5 and Canvas and stuff. Anyway, it's, sorry, I didn't mean to It's fun to talk to him about it. Yeah. yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's. I think his name's Brett. Anyway, is that, is that okay. Anyway, um, yeah. So then there was Jaxer, and then so there was a lot of interest in this idea. It was you know it was kind of the seed that was planted in a lot of people's minds. Um, and when Node.js hit, I was going to the Ruby group, and some people were talking about it. And at first, I thought they were saying Node.js, and I didn't know what it was. And, like no sequel. Then people, yeah. And so like, <laughs> but people kept on bringing it up. Um, and so I thought, okay, I've got to take a look at this. And I think someone did a presentation on it, and then I was like, I'm hooked. And then I started. Then then two of us kind of simultaneously started up the JavaScript Utah group and all that. But anyway, so there was uh, Ringo.js. I think was the name of another platform. Um, so at the time that Node.js was really starting to form together, there was three, maybe four competing products um, that were doing the same thing that were like, and I think a lot of it had to do with people, like jQuery made JavaScript fun because people hated it for a long time. And if you haven't got a good education on it, you have every right to hate it because it's, it's just as terrible as PHP if you don't have the discipline to help make it better or use it properly. Right. You know? But you have to have a pretty good understanding of how the different constructs in the language work. And not only that, but a lot of them have some implications as to the way it, the way that you interact with them and the way that they work. And so, yeah, if you don't have a good handle on that, and we've talked about some of them like functions and closures and, and uh, you know, things like that, objects and, and the way the objects behave and prototypal, pro- prototypal inheritance. Not, not even to start with the differences between browsers. Right. 
yeah, you, you've got the whole different VMs between browsers. You know, yeah, but there's a lot there that, yeah, I mean, and, and it's not necessarily even the language's design. It's just that the ecosystem is so different from anything else that you're dealing with that, you know, I mean, you have in Python and Ruby and a lot of these other languages, sure, you have other implementations on other VMs, but ultimately there's like one canonical version that uh, the main guy behind it is, is you know, has built and everybody the else. dictator. Right. And so everybody else more or less just copies the API that this guy comes up with. And uh, with JavaScript, it's not necessarily that way because each of the browser vendors has their own little agenda going on and they care about some features, not others. And so, yeah, you, you really wind up with this really interesting ecosystem with it, which for, for better or worse, yeah, it can get you into trouble. And, and so Common JS, which is the whole require system, um, that started more with like the Rhino group. But then like the Ringo people and the other people kind of picked it up. And CommonJS is like, well, how do we, instead of saying every time you include a file that everything's global, mm-hmm. um, actually give things scope. and Mouthwash. Exactly. Cleaning it up. Getting it fresh. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's kind of funny. As I, I was just trying to be a smart aleck, but it's actually pretty apt when you put it that way. <laughs> anyway. Away and, with words. So CommonJS, um, Node.js deviates from CommonJS a little bit, but in a way that really makes sense. Because I think there was some short-sightedness in CommonJS because for whatever insane reason, the CommonJS people never had the thought in their heads like, hey, we might want to create something that could be used in the browser as well. Um, So there's some key features that were not really done right and Node.js did deviate from the common JS standard in order to implement it correctly. The main thing there that they fixed being um, that you have access to the module so you can export a function. In the common JS standard, you can't export a function. It has to be an object. Right. Can't be an array or anything like that. Um, so Node is built on V8. It implements everything that V8 implements, but then it has all of these asynchronous APIs um, outstanding. But another kicker is from version 0.1, Node has had excellent documentation. And that's one of the things where a project either flies or dies based on how pretty that docs page is and how easy it is to grok. Right. Well, and not just documentation. I feel like the Node community has kind of sprung up fully formed almost. Like it, it feels, it's really young, but it feels really mature at the same time. Well, they, like you they have, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say you have lots of really smart people who, who seem like they have lots of things figured out pretty well, which is cool. Like, um, I don't know. It doesn't feel like they're feeling around as much trying to find out the best way to do lots of things. It, it feels like the, there's lots of shared knowledge on, on best practices and stuff. Well, I, well, I hate the word. Oh, I said best practices. Ah. That gives me like the enterprise heebie-jeebies. <laughs> well, there, that. <laughs> there is and there isn't with best practices. And that's a that's a topic for another show, I think. But, you know, JavaScript, especially with Node.js, it, again, I mean, it's, it's this interesting ecosystem that we wind up with because, I mean, there are communities out there that have been using JavaScript for, what, 20 or 30 years? And it's... You know, so they they really just moved a lot of that interest in. And so there was a lot of mature knowledge about the language, even if there wasn't as much mature knowledge about the platform or whatever you want to call Node.js itself. And you got to consider that largely people that have adopted Node.js, as far as I can tell, 
have not necessarily been the people that were using JavaScript, but the people that were using Ruby. Yeah, it seems so, like there is a, a, a bit of movement that way. Like before, I, I think it might have even before point three, you know, when they were when they were just getting to the second revision, they already had version control figured out, you know, like NPM basically took everything that Jim has improved upon the weak points and bam, it was there. And there's also a, um, like an RVM type thing for Node as well. But with the API moving so fast uh, up until point four is where it really started to get stable. There wasn't much change in between point four and point six. And it looks like point eight will stay about the same. Um, Are they using semant- semantic versioning? Uh, it's kind of Linux kind kernel of. style where odd numbers are unstable and even numbers are stable. Yeah, that's but semantic version. Yeah, and then the point releases are um, bug fixes. Right. So you're not allowed to change the APIs on, on the bug fix releases, which are the, the the third number if you're going point, point, you know, 0.4.6, yeah, yeah. 0.4.7, that kind of thing. Yeah, the, the rule they follow is that... Ryan, well, I guess now it's Isaac. Um, it's it's not considered to be stable until they hit 1.0. Right. But they're trying, so they're keeping the zero number there, even though people are using it in production. They're keeping the zero number there. So, that, you know, it's kind of a disclaimer. Um, but it looks like, from what I can see, it looks like things have gotten really stable um, and we might see a 1.0 soon. Yeah, I've heard so. some pretty, pretty awesome stuff about 0.6 and just the, the stability and reliability not just in you know the vm doesn't crash but yeah in in the stability of the api and that oh yeah we we really don't expect major changes here in the future yeah and there's a couple obvious bugs that as you use the api you're like oh shouldn't this go there and they're they've just a few little places where that's left they're getting sorted out so it's really stabilizing coming together for sure right so, so let's talk about NPM for a minute because I'm, I'm a little curious there. Um, some people may or may not have the background from Ruby where they're talking about uh, Ruby gems. Or I, I think um, I think Perl has CPAN or is that Python? Yep. Python has uh, eggs. No, or, that's Perl. Eggs. Um, and I easy install and eggs is on Python, yeah. yeah. So, I think PIP is the uh, – Python people are going to tell me I'm stupid. I think PIP is the like canonical – package manager now for Python right. though. So, so if you've worked with a language like that, you should be pretty familiar with what it does. But uh, why don't we just go over it really quickly? So NPM is, it stands for nothing. I was about to say it stands for node package manager, but they specifically say it doesn't stand for anything. Um, <laughs> That's a lie. That's just one, I, this is one of those things where they're like, we're going to confuse you. It only stands for node package manager. They, they should have named no, it N-O-M and then everyone could have said nom, nom, nom or something. I don't know. <laughs> nice. Anyways, it's it's a program that lets you install node packages by either specifying them explicitly or doing uh, putting them in a package.json file, which is basically you, you list your dependencies. And then it does like dependency resolution stuff, so it'll find the dependencies of your dependencies and, and do all that good stuff. Um, it's It lets you publish packages to the NPM repository as well. So it, I, I know you said this isn't, I mean, we should explain it for people that aren't familiar but it's kind of it's really like ruby gems and bundler kind of smooshed together mm-hmm. right so when you when you have your dependencies listed in this package.json file if you just type npm install npm will search through that pull all the dependencies and and packages into a node modules folder inside the folder that you 
called npm install from. Mm -hmm. So so it installs these libraries locally, right? And then you right. can specify to install them globally across your whole machine. But it by default, it automatically kind of sandboxes them, um, which has been a pain point in the past. So you can tell that that was a problem somebody thought about and solved pretty well. Yeah, but and it was a problem with Ruby Gems for a long time before we had another yeah. tool called Bundler, which effectively does that. It just does a local install of your gems, which are your libraries. But but it, I mean, it feels like those problems are really related. The problem of installing stuff and figuring out like local versus global and dependencies mm -hmm. and stuff. So it's really nice that it's all in one tool. Yeah, and the latest really. the latest version does not allow globals. The only way that you can do a global is if you're doing um, an executable. So if you want to install a, a system script with NPM, you can do that, but you cannot require globals anymore, which is good, I guess. But you can still install, like, you can still pass a dash G and install. But it won't, there. you can't use it. Yeah, so you, you can't, like, call require some global thing that I installed. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so, I mean, like, it's useless yeah. to install a module globally unless it is packaged with an executable. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, less the CSS compiler right. or CoffeeScript, the CoffeeScript compiler, you know, like where it has an executable with it. Okay, so then how do you make use of these uh, packages or whatever you would call them? Are they packages or libraries? Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so how chunks do you make use of these packages? Tiny chunks with the, of code. Yeah, yeah, uh, code, code so, flex. We'll call them code flex. So uh, how do you make use of flex of code in your in your golden application? Well, you, you just speckle them in. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, the way you go about it is I, I'm going to put this link in the show notes. Um, but I've got a really simple how to get started with NPM as a developer. Um, and, and I've got like a hundred bajillion little 50 line snippets in NPM just cause I like to reuse my code. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is in an RC file, you set your name, your email, your, um, blog or, you know, whatever the, the web contact point. You run npm add user, you, so to add yourself to the system and set a password, then you just cd into your project directory where the package.json is and it has the dependencies listed and you've got your lib and all that and you do npm publish.slash and then you go somewhere else and you do npm install name of package and that's, that's it. So nice. really simple, super, super easy to contribute to npm. Anybody can do it. Yep. And then as were you asking about actually using the the libraries that you've installed in your yeah. code chuck? Yeah. Oh. So that's the require function. Um mm -hmm. you you call require and then you pass it in a string that's the name of the library and then that re will return if it's written right, it'll return some function or object or whatever. So everything that the library um, provides to you is all kind of namespaced inside that. It's right. kind of like the python model, right, where you require mm -hmm. import whatever import foo as bar or something um so it again you can kind of tell that someone looked at ruby the way that you call require something and then it just kind of appears magically in the scope and was like huh that could be done better um and it is really nice you know that stuff isn't going to magically change you aren't going to have um objects or crazy uh, class chains that'll just appear in global scope it's all kind of encapsulated right. for you so and there's some very important notes there mm -hmm. um when you require uh, it recur so when you npm install, it recursively installs. Let's say that you have um, a module that's used by two packages. So you've got module foo and bar, and both foo and bar depend on baz. What you're going to get is you're going to get two separate copies of baz. 
One is going to be in the subtree of foo, and the other is going to be in the subtree of bar. So depending on what you want, it may be best to include foo, bar, and baz all on the same level so that any um, internal voodoo that happens with baz will be a shared state that both uh -huh. foo and bar have. For example, instance of. Let's say you're passing an object around and you want to use instance of, which is probably an anti-pattern more than a pattern <laughs> be just because it's so unreliable. And I found out this the hard way. But if if you pass an object somehow from foo to bar, a baz object, and you say is instance of baz, when it gets to from one module to the other, it will return false. Because the way the require works is that every file is required exactly once. The file is not executed until it has been required. Um, but if there are two files that are the same exact module, you have two different instances entirely of that object. You're not that my class. Baz. You're not my Baz. You're the other Baz. Exactly. Oh, that that could be real fun to debug, I'm sure. So, yeah. Well, there there's a few cases. Like the one that's actually common is with the MIME module. If you're using the MIME module in any of your sub modules or anything depends on MIME, go ahead and include it at the top level. Because with MIME, one of the common things you want to do is define a MIME type. So you're going to give it this extension and this MIME type. Like you might want to do it. I think they include the HTML5 app extension by default now, but they didn't used to. And that's where it can bite you is like, I required MIME. I set the MIME type. Why isn't it working? Because uh -huh. you're doing it too low. Right. So I really, I, I want to get into where and how people use Node, but I, I really want to answer another question really quickly. And that is, is just how, how do people get started with Node.js? I mean, what's the best way to get, get up and running, to get going? Do you just go download it somewhere? I, I, I'm asking this question having already done it, but I know that you can explain it better than I can. Well, now it's super easy. You go to Node.js.org, you click the download button. They've got a PKG for Mac. They've got an EXE for Windows. And with Linux, uh, if you're using Arch or something, you might have it in your repository. Um, otherwise, you probably want to compile from source because uh, I don't think the latest Ubuntu has a, a good version of Node. I mean, you should be using 0.6. Okay. And then the other question I have is, is how do you find um, the modules that you need uh, with NPM? Is there a search function in there? Or? there yeah, yeah, there is. The search, it's super slow, though. So they, you go to npm. You're saying like and, I kind of know the name, and you can do it on npm.org too. That's I mean I think he uses the same backend, so it's kind of slow still. But um, are you saying like discover modules? So, yeah. So like I need to use an HTTP module or some some URL request thing. I don't know. Like which one should I use? Yeah. So so about? let's say that I'm super new to Node.js and I I have I've never heard of Socket.io. And yeah. somebody's telling me, you need Node.js so that you can do WebSockets. So how do I go yeah. about finding that library? Do I just do an NPM would, search the, socket, WebSocket? I would suggest first Google it because most of the time you're going to get like three results. And those results may not entirely be accurate because of Google's new algorithms. They're not maybe as good as the old ones. Um, <laughs> it it but, has uh, to come up somewhere, right? <laughs> We're not always happy with what they did. Okay. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Um, so uh, if you look at the top five results on Google, um, one of them is probably going to be it. The way that 
is best to decide is probably because they're all going to be listed on GitHub. So you check the number of forks, the last commit, and the number of watchers. And the one that has the highest watchers may not actually be the current maintained version because sometimes one person, often, one person starts a library, another person picks it up to maintain it. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you click on the forks, you'll see like, oh, look, this fork stopped two years ago. And I don't even know how that's possible with Node, but I'm pretty sure I've seen it. <laughs> um, and then you'll see another line of fork that doesn't have as many watchers, but it's got like 60 commits on it and it pulls in from all the other branches. That's the current one you should be using. Okay. So as far as just discovering, if you have no idea, um, the Node IRC channel on Freenode is really good too. Lots of the like big Node guys hang out there, and then there's tons of friendly people too. Is that so? Pound Node on Freenode? Yeah, just I think it's poundnode.js. I have it saved, so I don't ever type it in. Let me check. But yeah. If you, if you hop in there and just say, hey, I want to do X in Node, I want to send pictures of cats across the internet, then you they'll tell you, oh, use Node Cat. Actually, isn't module. there a module for that? Uh, One of those not, artificial intelligence spam bot type things? Maybe there will be. Are you talking about Qbot? <laughs> I don't know. I think there was one that will send links to pictures of cats in chat rooms for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's. I think that's Qbot. That's just a, a GitHub thing. They, they wrote yeah. the little bot. He's a friendly fellow. Yeah, they, they actually use Qbot in, uh, in their campfire chat as well. Yeah. And they use him to control all kinds of stuff. I actually did an interview with uh, Tom Preston Werner for the Teach Me to Code podcast. And he talked about Qbot and... Uh, I was I was falling out of my chair laughing at some of the stuff they programmed it to do. But yeah, interesting. There there are okay. lot, there are ruby gems too that their sole purpose is to draw certain shapes or images on your screen. So and those are the best gems. Uh, I love stuff like that. Some of them aren't <laughs> some of them aren't PG rated. So oh, those yeah. shapes. Yeah, links. So yeah. the channel is poundnode.js on Freenode. Awesome, awesome. And it's. Really and uh, on my screen, when I search Node.js IRC, first hit, no longer maintained. <laughs> so so maybe those algorithms could be tweaked if, if any Google guys are listening. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're supposed to downvote it or something. You can't do that anymore. Oh. They got rid of that. Like when they were introducing Google Plus, they got rid of that. Oh, that's right. You, you can only minus. plus one of them. Yeah, that's the other thing I think is interesting. That means you're implicitly minus one-ing the, in the entire rest of the world that you don't plus one. No, this is how you do it. Uh, just open up Internet Explorer 6, download the Google toolbar, and then hit the search rank thumbs down button. That'll do it for you. <laughs> do those APIs gonna, still work? I Last time I saw the Google toolbar, it still had it. That was probably a year ago, but who knows? Yep. All right, so let's get into what people are using Node.js for. And and this is really interesting to me because, you know, there have been there's been a bunch of back and forth between former Rubyists using Node and current Rubyists who have tried it out, you know, saying it, it worked well for this, but not necessarily for that. So what what are kind of the strengths and weaknesses? And I, I guess I'm probably aiming at specific modules within Node that provide like a web server and things like that. So... I think one immediate strength that it's really good at is real-time stuff, so push stuff. You can do that in other languages. I know uh, probably every language has something to do with that, but with Node, it just feels really natural. So Socket.io is a great uh, server for doing WebSocket communication, Uh which lets you uh, push stuff back and forth between 
the browser and, and the server. Um, yeah, it's it's kind so. of uh, you can think of it as kind of like using the phone instead of uh, IM. So you're you're not waiting for the message to get there, get processed, and get sent back. You actually have an open line where you can send messages both ways. At least that's my understanding. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's really similar to TCP sockets. Well, not really similar. The the basic idea is kind of similar, where you open a connection that both sides can read and write to and from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just over HTTP. But, and it has to be, I think, UTF-8. Yeah, there are, be there are a few binary. gotchas there. And I, I understand that some of the WebSocket stuff, and WebSocket kind of covers a couple of different uh, technologies, but um, like I guess there are some transparent proxies on the web that have messed up some of that stuff, depending on what you're using. So uh, That's been fixed. Yay! Um, <laughs> that makes me happy. I, I'm pretty sure that's been fixed. It's back in Firefox. I, I I may be mistaken on this, but Firefox was committed to take out WebSockets until that was addressed, and now they're at like WebSocket version 13 or something. Nice. I just saw an HTTP header go by earlier today, and it had like WSV13 or something like that in it. Oh, nice. So, Sweet. All right. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that they would solve the problem instead of just saying, well, there's nothing we can do. We got to work work around it. So, um, yeah, but that's really cool. So, yeah, that's one area that I've heard a lot of good things about is the way that it handles sockets. Um, one other thing, when you're talking about real-time stuff, um, uh, the evented model makes a lot of sense to me when you're talking about things like um, like a chat room or something where you get something in and you effectively want to generate events to manage it going back out. Um, oh, hex. Yeah. So, so things like that make it's, a lot of sense yeah, to me. It's dirt simple to do that. Oh right. my goodness. You can, if you want to prototype network code of any kind, UDP, TCP, HTTP, you cannot get something that is easier and faster to set up than node. Right. Pile, compile time excluded, depending on your system there. <laughs> right. So, not so, not well, that it's pile, but there, there could be situations. Specifically, I had a really hard time getting it on uh, an ARM board for this media box project I'm doing. An ARM board? Yeah. So that I don't. I personally don't feel that Node is ready for ARM right now. Oh, I think okay. if you're looking for something for ARM, you should probably go with a different language, maybe Python. Uh, Golang looks like it may have better support on ARM, at least my initial tests, it's more stable. Node.js is not as stable on ARM as it is on uh, on uh, x86, yeah. for sure. Works fine on legs, not on arms. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, that's, that's the problem with doing it in the evening, too, is you get all my corny, oh, that that's clever, and then I say it, that's not very clever. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So yeah, all used up. Yeah. So um, another thing about Node is I know that benchmarks are blah blah. Everyone's benchmark shows that their thing is the fastest, but Node really is. It really is the, the fastest. fastest. It really it's is. Really, I, I swear it is. It's really competitive speed wise among all the interpreted languages. Um, and, and you can find different benchmarks that'll depending on who who you, who points you to them, they'll probably show different things. But it's it's pretty blazingly fast. So yeah. if, and, if and that's speed, another go ahead. That that's another point is that um, JavaScript with Node became interesting because all the other implementations, as I understand it, were script interpretation. Uh, Node.js is not interpreting your script. You are compiling down to machine code. Now, it does that every time it runs, so the startup time is maybe a little bigger, but um, it's, it's as far as I know, Python and Ruby don't compile down to machine code. No, no. So basically what you're saying is 
every time I change my program, I have to restart my Node VM. Yes. Yeah, or have something that does magic for you. But right, yeah. so you can't say, "Oh, here's new code," because because that is one of the nice things about Ruby in particular or Definitely. Python is that it's like, "Okay, I've got new code. Um, here it is. Interpret it," you know, and it it just goes on its merry way. There is a trick that I've read about um, that that relies on some undocumented black magic where you go in and you delete the module from the module cache and then require it again with a different string somehow. Mm, interesting. So there's there's also a module called Node Supervisor. Um, it's by Isaacs, the chief guru of Node right now. And it's it's just a watcher. So every time you change your code and save it, it'll, it'll reload it. That's cool. But yeah. You, you can get that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So some of the other paradigms on the web, um, mainly where basically I'm just making one call in and it's going to go fetch something out of the database and come back and say, here it is and give me HTML. Is there really that big of a difference using something like Node over something else like Rails or Django or uh, what, what have you? You're so going to pretend here, like you're way cooler than the other people. That's true. And, and here's the <laughs> classical counter question to that. Um, you have a list of 100 items. Which sorting algorithm should you use to sort them? Okay. It doesn't matter. Whichever one you can code fastest. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? I mean, if you're only doing one thing... Well, who cares if Node's the fastest? You're not going to notice. Right. It's fun to program in. It's it's uh-huh. it's the expressiveness that it has is nice. Um, right. Maybe not quite as nice nice as Ruby's, depending on your you know point of view and your flavor. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun. I think that's one of the advantages of it. Right. And, and the that's callbacks. So, so so that's something else that Jameson kind of said uh, that really I think is important point to bring out. And that is he basically said it's competitive with the other languages. And and I think that's really a valid point is that when you come down to the benchmarks and you start looking at, OK, you know, this one is faster than this one is faster than that one. But if they're all below that line of fast enough, then really, you know, your advantage in running that language really comes down to how quickly or, you know, enjoyably you can code it up is, is what AJ's saying. And, and I think that really is a valid point. So, you know, whether it is in something like Node.js or in Ruby or in Python or in .NET, GagMe or in Java, you know, whatever, if, if that's your cup of tea, if that's what really, you know, gets it done for you, you know, then, yeah, what, what difference does it really make? But when you have these other instances where it, the, the paradigm of the language really matches up with the paradigm for the problem, I really like the idea of having something that's like, yeah, you just you just trigger these events and, you know, it, it goes and does its thing and it's done. So I'd like to bring up a case where I don't think Node is appropriate. Thank you. But I that I like to do it anyway. OK. Um, Node is not appropriate for system scripts. <laughs> and and, and I, I feel like a gun pointed at the back of my head. I'm looking around here to make sure none of the people on the node list are hearing me. But uh, oh, the, the lynch mob will find you next week. If Again, if, if you're doing really small stuff and it doesn't matter, then it still doesn't matter, right? But here's right. some downsides to node. Um, startup time is perhaps longer than you want. So um it, yeah the, i i personally to me the startup time feels a little slow and again i've got this personal hobby project on the arm and it 
so so to me, I want it to be faster. When you're using x86, it's probably plenty fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, a lot of stuff we do here at work, uh, we do some some web applications for like office stuff and and whatever. And you know, it's not a problem in any of those situations. But uh, I was writing a script to transfer basically a, a terabyte of data almost um, from one hard drive to another and indexing it as I go. And I'd written that with Node.js. And the performance is terrible because all the callbacks end up hitting the CPU and it's just like the asynchronous works against you in that case. Right. I would have been much better off to do it in, in Go or Python. Right, but that's, um, that's more or less a synchronous process anyway, right? Yeah, but I mean, the, the thing is, I, I know Node a lot better than anything right. else right now. And so when I want to solve a problem, it's like, oh, do I learn how to do this in something else? Or do I just go ahead and do it right now in Node? Every um, problem you know. looks like a problem that is solved by Node. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And and I like I like JSON and I like how it's, you know, a perfect match. I mean, and most languages are a pretty perfect match with JSON these days. I mean, they it, they all kind of go together really well. But, um, but yeah, I, I just noticed that it's not good for that application if that type of performance is, is important to you. Right. Because um, if you're doing lots of asynchronous calls, but you're doing it on something that could be done synchronous, you, you just lose efficiency and it takes maybe longer. Right. That makes sense. So, so to kind of summarize, we've said that Node is awesome for low-level networking stuff, right? Love um, it. For- oh, my goodness. For like push real time stuff, especially web sockets, and uh, for writing shell scripts. <laughs> no. Well, another another problem with the system scripts is the way that integers work in Node is absolutely horrendous. And that's not Node; that's JavaScript. I mean, that's the spec. Like the spec is myrtleate all numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Myrtleate. So is that wanna, in Wikipedia? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Now, um, I want to talk about another part that comes up when people talk about the benefits of Node, which is reuse of code between the browser and the server. How do you guys feel about that? We, Love it. We kind of had this uh, discussion a little bit before. I think I think there are definitely instances where that can occur, but I also think that it's not it's not a complete panacea. It's not something that just always works all the time with all code. And so if you can make that work, great. If you can't, if, you know, I just don't think, I, I think it's still a little bit of a pipe dream. And I think, I think uh, Yehuda and Joaquim kind of hashed that out, but, but I kind I'm kind of siding with them on at this point, I would really love to see it happen, but I don't think it's something that, that happened, you know, that, that happens all the time under all circumstances. And, and I don't know if you necessarily always want it to either. So, so well, I, I mean, I, I know AJ is a big proponent of this. So yeah, I want to hear rant a little bit. Well, I, this is my thing is, First of all, people need to use the MVC pattern or whatever you want to call it, whatever the hipsters are saying these days. I mean, it's all the same thing. We rehash it. We call it different names. MVC is what I'm going to call it right now. Um, quit putting your daggone logic and your interface to the data in the same package. Get a function there, pass in the data, do your stuff, get the data out. Because as long as everybody's still in this mentality of writing 12,000 line long JavaScript files, which some of those are, you know, an NPM. Maybe not 12,000, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, the heck along, right? Stop doing it. Cut it down into chunks because then you have stuff that's actually modular that you can publish. I think, I think if you can't separate your code into something that is, that can work in the browser, then you're doing it wrong. And same thing, vice versa. 
you know, if your browser code, you can't run your your core modules in Node, you're doing it wrong. You need to stop using window. You need to stop using this as a global. You need to stop making these expectations of, of uh, ignoring the difference between what your algorithm is or your process, your business process, and where your data is coming from, that they need to be separate. If you separate them, it'll work just fine. All right. Well, I think I think that's also an interesting point is the separation of concerns. And and then you really can design pieces to work together that way. Um, I, I think. It, OK, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sure. I, I was just going to say it, it can sometimes feel like it's more work than it. Lots of times it feels like it's just for convenience. Like I don't want to have to type two different things if I'm doing something that's vaguely similar on the browser and the server. But but you do different things lots of times. And yeah. some some of the code will work fine out of the box. But like I, I'm a little suspicious of these frameworks that are trying to be full stack mm-hmm. like node frameworks that also have shared code with the browser so your models on the server are exactly the same as your models in the browser well um, i'm suspicious of frameworks that don't do it <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i tend to side a little more with jameson i i honestly think that there are definitely going to be some areas where you can have that overlap um, but at the same time, I really feel like, I mean, the paradigm in the browser and the paradigm on the server, I mean, you're solving different problems. And so I, I just, are you? well, in a lot I, of cases, well, if you, if you abstract it enough, I guess right. all the problems only? are the same problem. But. Right. <laughs> but, but, but where is the line where it's actually worth it? And, and I guess that's well, this, really where this, we're having the discussion, right? This is what I'm saying. Like in the browser, your interface is, uh, you're talking about I'm, like strict mode stuff, basically, right? Like don't do stupid stuff that won't run in strict mode kind of well yeah if you if you do strict mode and a lot of people have the misconception i recently found out a lot of people think that strict mode and js lint go together they don't like your code doesn't have to pass js lint to run in strict mode you don't have to do all those crazy things so like because some people have said well i can't use strict mode because because I, I I have to do this and and my code won't pass js lint when i do that so i don't use js lint and they're not they're not related um so i just want to throw that out there but yes, there, there are a lot of things that strict mode will not allow you to do dumb things like use this as the global. Um, and so if you're using strict mode, then you do get the added benefit of more of your code just automatically works between the browser and node. Okay. Um, I'm going to can of worms this right here. And what we're going to do is maybe next week we can get in and we, you know, we can all go do some homework on this and, and see what's out there. See what, you know, maybe have a little bit of discussion on the mailing list. And, um, you know, let's ne- next week, let's just talk about this. Let's let's really go into, OK, do we really think that it's feasible um, and that it makes sense to have code that runs in both places and how much? And, and let's really do it. I mean, let's let's hash it out. Let's have a fight and uh, exercise to the listener. If you have an opinion on this, we really want to hear it. So uh, leave a comment on the blog. Uh, javascriptjabber.com or just email one of us and just let us know or you can pick a fight with us on Twitter but I have a funny feeling that 140 characters isn't going to do it justice so um, I recommend 140 characters is enough to make a fool of myself that's what I found out whenever I try and have complex discussions on yeah, Twitter I, I've started a I couple can say of, just enough that everyone thinks I'm stupid and yeah, then I can't I, say anymore <laughs> I've started enough fights on Twitter to where yeah, you know, you get into it, and by the time you're done, you you realize that depending on how you read the different tweets, you re- you pretty much just talked your way in a circle because you couldn't complete one thought between four tweets. So, 
Yeah. Anyway, um, but we need to get into the picks. Um, I hate Wait, to cut I, this off, but just one last thing. One last thing. Okay. I would say that we are nearing the tipping point because there are at least four different package managers that manage packages through NPM with that that are meant for both the browser and Node. Just want to throw that out there. So maybe we're not there yet, but I do think we're at the tipping point. Could be. Very well could be. I, I think I think it is really an interesting place to go because um, I don't think there are any other languages that run in both places. So really, really fascinating thing. I mean, you might be able to make the case for Dart or something, but I mean, that that's only in like Dart Chromium or Chromium Dart or whatever the heck, Dartium, I think it was called. So, uh, but, you know, and, and that, that may be another interesting uh, discussion to have with those guys another time, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's kind of a uniquely positioned language that has this interesting interplay that we, we may be able to take advantage of. So anyway, with that, we'll get That's into the picks. Awesome. Yep. Um, Jameson, what are your picks? I have a few picks. It was my birthday last week, so I've got some sweet presents that I really enjoyed. Uh, you going to make us was, feel uh, old or are you going to not tell us how old you are? I'm not going to tell you because... Okay. Just because <laughs> um, I got a really cool pair of socks and they're from this place called happysocks.com. Um, they're very colorful, but manly colorful kind of. So I don't know. I guess you can get colorful socks by going to like the women's section of Kohl's and they'll have little pink flowers on them and stuff. But these are like kind of not flamboyant, just just like expressive, but in a in a way that doesn't threaten my sense of manliness. Um, I really like my socks. My next pick is a TV show. We talked about TV shows last time uh, when uh, we had Joe on and it reminded me of this one. This is the only TV show that I actually have ever in my life watched as it has come out. It's called Justified. It's on FX um, and it's kind of like a modern day cowboy show. It's got Timothy Oliphant is the lead guy. I think he's from Deadwood The HBO put on and a couple other things, but it's, it's really cool. He is kind of like Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood is the man. So it just kind of reminds me of that, that super cool cowboy type thing. Um, so, and then my other pick is the Kindle. I got a Kindle for my birthday and I love it. I was skeptical of them for a while. Um, but Chuck and I were talking about it and it's, it's pretty amazing how much of a difference the specialized screen makes for reading outside and just for reading everywhere. It's just a lot more comfortable than reading on a computer screen or an iPad. So I've read a lot more since I got it, which makes me happy because I yeah. love books. I love to read. Yeah. One other oh. nice thing about it is that you don't have to prop it open like you do a regular paper book because I, yeah. I've been reading some books that I actually own in hard copy and uh, yeah the more the more I get into it the more I'm sitting there going I really wish I just had this on my Kindle because it's, it's yeah. so convenient it's light I used to read books on my iPad I mentioned this in the the pre-show but I used to read books on my iPad and um, I didn't realize what a difference it made just from having the iPad backlit and having the the Kindle not um, but it's way easier on your eyes to read but the other thing is is that the the uh, the iPad weighs at least three times as much as the Kindle, and so to prop it up was just it, it was a pain. Now, one thing that I do want to point out with the Kindle that is a little bit of an issue that I found is that uh, I've had people send me their eBooks in PDF, and if you're trying to read a PDF on your Kindle, you you either you you can only scale it because it's an image, so you can only scale it every you can scale everything. You can't just scale the text, which is something that you can do with the Kindle formatted books. And so if you're reading a PDF, you may wind up reading that on your computer or your iPad, but just about anything else. And if they put it out in a Mobi format, um, which is an open source format that the Kindle will read or anything else. Oh, man, it's just it's it's so nice. 
I'm pretty sure the Kindle format is a modified, isn't it? Didn't it kind of fork off of Moby? Yes, they, their know. their official version is not open source. It's an A B Z or A B C or something. But yeah, it's 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 like a specialized. I think it's a specialized encrypted, you know, compressed version of of a Moby. But I don't know exactly oh. how that works. But anyway, I have one last pick. I forgot. Um, I I got these awesome headphones. They're called uh, Grado SR60 headphones. So I'm not much of an audio buff, but I asked a friend who was, mm-hmm. what are some good headphones that are really high quality for not a crazy amount of money? Because headphones can get pretty insanely expensive when you get up into the territory where people think that you need like gold-plated cables. And I don't know. You can spend a lot of money on <laughs> headphones. But these were like 70 bucks and and they're amazing. They're so nice. What was the model I number again? Them. It's SR60. SR60. Okay. Yep. So if, if you want nice headphones, they're open ear so other people can hear what you're listening to. If that's a problem, then probably not for you. But if your music is so awesome that you just want to blast it to everyone, like those people that put huge stereos in their cars and crank it really loud, <laughs> then uh, you can do that with these headphones too. Just share how cool you are with the whole world. Yeah. So them's my picks. I love those people. They have it so loud that, <laughs> that you can hear the windows like You know they're not enjoying it. Yeah. No yeah. one can be like, yeah, I love this song. I can't feel my face because it's so loud. This is nice. <laughs> right. You hear the windows rattling and that's about it. Yeah. It's like, that is awesome yeah. music if I could tell what it was. Yeah, anyway. it's just like a robot exploding, it sounds like. Yeah, but then you also have these people that go to these contests and try and like max out their sound systems to get the most decibels out of it. I think those are kind of cool, actually, because they're like engineering feet. But yeah, not practical for day-to-day use. Nope, but these headphones are because they're yeah. cool. Cool. Uh, AJ, what are your picks? So I also have some pretty nice headphones, but I'm not going to pick those this week. Um, I'm going to pick... Nintendo because they make games that are mostly family friendly and just fun to play with people. Um, so I got a Wii kind of on a whim. Well, not kind of exactly on a whim last week. And I got <laughs> That's it old because... technology, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all right. It was cheap. Well, hey, there right? That's pretty cool. But, I think, I think one might be uh, causal to the other, but so I, it came with the games that I wanted. It came with Mario Kart and uh, Smash Bros and Super Mario, which are basically the only games that you need to enjoy the Wii or, you know, any of the Nintendo game systems. You buy them over and over again. Mm-hmm. They used to have uh, Top Gear in there, too, but then they really screwed it up on the 64 and it never became popular again. Anyway, so uh, it came with those games and it's just been really fun playing it with people. And, and believe it or not, video games help me to be more social because that means I'm not programming. <laughs> <laughs> Yay for social. <laughs> yeah, it, like I told somebody that um, I was getting the Wii so that I'd be more social and they gave me this weird look. <laughs> no the Wii is the, it's totally the most social of the consoles yeah because you I don't know it's not a ton of fun by yourself but it's yeah. so much fun with other people yeah we but have I one have and I have to, to say we, we do play it and it's fun so I have to get the GameCube controllers for it because playing Smash Bros on the Wii with the nunchuck and stuff is not possible because they multiplex so many of the buttons like my favorite move I cannot figure out how to do it because it requires like pressing two buttons and over and then on the other controller the a button like all at like with perfect synchronicity whereas on the gamecube controller it's just like z over an a and it works every time 
So I'm losing because I can't fight. Right. It's a poor craftsman who blames his tools, AJ. (laughs) 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 I think you need Uh, to train. Awesome. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Anything else? Okay. I've got about four games to list here. Mario Brothers. Anyway. um, So my picks are kind of going to be all over the place. One thing that I just discovered here um, for um, some of the stuff that I'm working on is a program called Things. You can get it in the Mac App Store. Or I think you, I've heard of it. You fortunate people who have a Mac. Um, basically, it's a to-do list, except it's like hyped up. It's got all this other extra stuff in it that oh, it just makes my life better. Did I pick it last time? I didn't think I, I had. I was looking at the list. Seven, eight. Uh, nope, I didn't. False alarm. I, I did pick it on Ruby Rogues. That might be what you're thinking of. Oh, that's what it was. Um, but just yeah. Get enough of Chuck. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I never can tell like how much crossover I should do with my picks, but um, I have to say I'm, I'm really loving it. It lets you set up recurring tasks. Um, you can sandbox or not sandbox, but you can categorize them. You can also put them under a specific like life role or area of responsibility. And so then you can kind of, you know, break things down however you need to. Um, mark stuff off and, and really just, okay, I need to get this done today. I need to get this done this week. And uh, just really, really handy. Um, one other that uh, I've been using for a while, and I just found their Mac app, um, is Harvest. And uh, this is related more to um, freelancing, but it's what I use to track all my hours uh, and to invoice my clients. And I also have my subcontractors use it to track their hours so that I can invoice my clients for their work. And uh, it, it's worked really, really well. And I I just, I, I love it. I really, really love it. Um, one last uh, pick that I have, and I kind of hesitate to pick this because it's sort of exclusive. Um, it's it's called The Podcast Mastermind. Um, you can find it at thepodcastmastermind.com. And uh, basically it's, um, how do I explain it? So it's a group of podcasters that uh, it was put together by Cliff Ravenscraft over at podcastanswerman.com, which I highly recommend if you're thinking about starting a podcast, go check out that show. Um, But anyway, what it is is so he he decided that he wanted to create this mindshare about podcasting and it it goes well beyond that. I mean, it gets it. We, we talk about life. So we talk about like weight loss and, and family and, and all of these other things. So it really is a true mastermind in the sense that you get from uh, whichever book invented the term mastermind. I, I don't remember which one it was. It was the millionaire mind or think and grow rich or one of those. But um, anyway, so it's just a, t- a place and time where we can get together and talk about what's going on and uh, give each other feedback Um you know, ex- explain, okay, this is what I've got going on. And then I, I get a lot of, of positive feedback for that. But uh, it's just been an incredible resource, not just in the realm of podcasting, but uh, personally for me, I've, I've made some friends and really have gotten some valuable feedback from them. And so um, if you're looking at getting into podcasting and you're willing to, you know, spend the monthly fee to be involved, then then go check it out at thepodcastmastermind.com. But what I would recommend first is go listen to podcastanswerman.com. Go listen to the podcast there and and really kind of get a feel for what's going on. Try and start a podcast and then just really get a good handle on what you're working on there. So anyway, um, those are my picks and that's about all I have. 
Um, I do want to let everybody know that we we're working hard to get these shows out as soon as we can. Um, my goal is we, we recorded this on Tuesday and it looks like we're going to um, have a set time to record these on Tuesday. So hopefully you'll get them by Thursday or Friday at the very latest. But my goal is to have all of my podcasts for the week out by Friday. So um, look for it then. And then if you listen to these over the weekend or something, it's there. And, you know, if you pick it up and listen to it throughout the next week on your commute or anything, then then that should work for you, too. But anyway, if you have feedback as far as when you want it to come out or anything like that, um, you know, let us know. You can email me, Chuck, at teachmetocode.com. And uh, I'm pretty open to getting those emails and answering them as I get them. So, um, you know, I, I definitely value your feedback and things. Um, I'm also working on a few other things with my podcasts in general. And so keep an ear out for that because I will probably bring it up next week. Um, other than that, we are also talking about doing a book club. So if you have a book recommendation for us, then again, email us and let us know or tweet it to at JS Jabber on Twitter. And uh, with that, we're in iTunes. Check us out. Leave us a review. And thanks for listening. See ya. Good night. Thank you. Come again. <laughs> and there go all of our listeners who are coming from India. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Jay. <laughs>